Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Good evening, River of Life. I am happy to be here. I'm glad to. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're going to be a part of our family meal afterwards. If you've not been here for one of our family meals after church is done, we're going to rearrange the room a little bit. You'll see that garage door will roll up. The food truck is already there. They're already cooking, and they'll have food for all of us. There is no cost to that. I do want to throw one thing out to you, and sorry to those of you who are watching in Star Valley, and Malawi, and Alaska. We don't have a food truck there yet. We're we're working on it. Um, But uh, I do want to mention one thing to you. As you saw Tammy talk about Feed the Need, it's a phenomenal program where we're able to reach into different neighborhoods. And with that, we do receive some funding for the different sites, um, which has been very helpful over the last years. Uh, Last year, when we launched into the Creekside Apartments, that is an amazing space for us to be. And this year, they let us know that they will not fund that site anymore. So we have to come up with that money on our own. And so I just want to challenge you tonight. Like I said, the meal is absolutely free this evening. But as I was sitting there, I really felt like uh, I'm on a challenge. I think there's somebody in the room who maybe God is going to lay something on your heart. And as you go up to get your food, there's going to be a jar, which I have not told anybody yet. Um, (laughs) There's going to be a jar outside on the food truck. And if you want to just put an offering in towards this year's Uh, Feed the Need program, that would go a long way and we would very much appreciate that. This is an incredible way for us to reach into our community to meet a tangible need and for our children to learn about God's love through just us being there and saying, hey, we care, we see you. And so I just want to encourage you with that as as, uh, the rest of the gathering goes. If God lays something on your heart, will you just be faithful in that? And let's just believe that God's going to meet that need. Amen? Amen? Amen. I did want to mention to you that Frida is actually the name of the truck, not the gentleman that was sitting behind the wheel of the truck (laughs) when they said that. So Vance, if you're in the room, I just wanted to make sure nobody was calling you Frida from now on. Well, we're in a series that we've called Essential, and uh, this is our last weekend on that. Like we mentioned to you, next weekend is Father's Day weekend. We've got a special guest that's going to be with us on top of that. All the men 18 years or older, we have a special gift for you that will be uh, here next weekend. And so please make sure that you're here. If you are not out camping or you're not out of town, will you make sure that you come to church for one of those gatherings? It's going to be a great weekend. We're super excited about that. I did want to, tonight I want to just talk to you about a story in the Bible that I believe is kind of one of those comeback stories. It's one of those stories where, where somebody is at about the lowest point they can be and they have a comeback. How many of you like a good comeback story? Yes. <laughs> okay, a lot of you don't, so that's weird. But <laughs> I was thinking about back when I was in high school and I, uh, I, up until like through junior high, I played in, in uh, Little League Baseball. And then you get to a certain age and they stop doing Little League Baseball. And so our city decided that they were going to put together a uh, high school 
softball league. And so uh, our church was always very involved in, in softball. And so we put together a high school softball team. And I was never like the best softball player. I was not usually the worst on the team, but I was just kind of that guy that was the, in the middle somewhere. So I was also the guy who I'm not like the, the super, like I want to be in the middle of everything. So you can put me wherever you want me. And if the ball comes to me, I'll do the best that I can to make sure that things happen the way that they're supposed to. But I'm not the guy that's sitting out there going, man, I hope they hit to me. Man, I, ho I hope this one comes to me. I'm just like, hey, if it, hit, if it comes to me, I'll do what I need to do. If it doesn't come to me, I'm fine with that too. If the pitcher wants to strike everybody out up there and I can stand out here, I'm fine with that as well. And so that's just kind of where I just, I want to give you a little backstory as to where, you, where I find my abilities. So... On one particular day, we went and we were playing softball and we were playing against a team of people that were a bunch of guys from my high school. I just started dating this, this girl and as I was dating her, her parents said, hey, we want to come and watch you play softball. And can I just tell you, for a guy like me, that's not like exciting to me. <laughs> like that actually kind of makes me nervous. And so I was playing out in center field and the game was proceeding and there was a couple things hit to me and I got the ground ball through it and did everything kind of the way that you should do it. Didn't have any errors. So I was kind of patting myself on the back. There was no errors involved. So I was pretty good. I got up to bat. I got onto base a couple times, feeling all right about things. And then we were up by one run and I can't remember which inning it was, but it was towards the end of the game. And I'm standing in center field. And as I'm standing there, this guy who is in, my in one of my classes at school, and he is a mouthy guy. He's just one of those guys. He's always got an attitude. He's always kind of arrogant. And he gets up to bat, and he points his bat at me. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right, buddy. Yeah, you try and do that. Let's see what happens. And uh, so I'm standing there, and he hits this ball, and it is going. And now this is a field, there's no back fence. So I'm, I start running, and I wish I could say that I had like this really super cool athletic run that I was doing, but at that <laughs> moment, I'm like, dude, this thing is gonna get so far beyond me, and this guy's gonna get a home run off of this. So I just started doing that, like I don't care what anybody thinks, run. You know what kind of run I'm talking about? I'm not trying to look like I'm cool. I'm not posing for any kind of baseball card at this moment. I'm literally just in full sprint as fast as I can run. And I'm running and I'm running. At the very last second, I don't know what came over me. I don't know where, how I, I had the wherewithal. I didn't even know where the ball was, if I'm being honest with you right now. I just knew that when I saw it take off off his bat, it was going to be gone. And so at the very last second, I do this number with my glove. And boom, I snow cone the ball. So much so, did you say amen to that? <laughs> We're just saying amen to like, okay. Anyhow, uh, so I snow cone the ball and I got to be honest with you because I, I, I looked and I couldn't actually believe it was in my glove. That's, that's the catch that I made. I wish I could say, oh yeah, I, I totally knew that ball was going to, I look and there it is. So I stopped and that was the third out. So everybody's like, What? And I just kind of like, yeah, I got it. And just kind of walk back in. And that was like one of the proudest moments of my softball career right there. It was a comeback story because I was the guy that, did, that was not expected of. And, and so I, that really doesn't have anything to do with my message, but I just felt like I wanted to share that story with you tonight. Sometimes you got to go back to the glory days a little bit. And, uh, 
But I want us to look at a story that I, I love this story. It's found in John chapter 8. And we're going to look at the Passion Translation tonight. In verse 8, it says this. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again. And soon, all the people gathered around him to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then, in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words, and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a, with a convicted conscience. Until finally, Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she, applied, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from here and be free from a life of sin. Let's pray. God, in the next few moments as we look at your word, I pray, Father, that you'll show us what we need to see. Lord, we're so thankful, God, that your word is truth, and that, Lord, as we apply it to our lives, it changes things. God, I pray for all those who are watching today, those who will watch this later in the county jail, and those who will watch it in the state penitentiary. God, those who are watching it with us live, and those who will watch later in Malawi. God, we're so grateful, because wherever we are, your word is true, and it applies to us. So we thank you for that. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's break this story down just a little bit. Jesus is teaching in the temple. There's a whole crowd. And then all of a sudden, these religious people, they come and they break in. They bring this woman. They have stones in hand. They're ready to stone this woman to death. This is a great sermon to preach if we're talking about forgiveness. Even as we look at this woman, she's obviously guilty. It says that she was even caught in the act. And I don't know exactly how they did that or what that means, but they brought her to a place where they said, listen, she was caught. There's no, there's no denying it. She's guilty. So Jesus, what will you do with it? So as we think about this, we think about this idea of forgiveness. You know, this week I was going through the drive-thru and as I was going through a drive-thru, it's one of those ones that has multiple drive-thrus. So you order, then you pay at one and then you go to the next. And as I was there, I, I pulled up and there's a long line and I pulled up to the drive-thru and as I got there, uh, I was looking at the menu just for a second and the lady behind me, young lady in a car behind me, lays on the horn and she starts honking. And I thought, what in the world? So I, I ordered and, and I got up to the first window and I was a little bit hot at this moment because this lady is honking at me and I don't really understand why. So I get up to the first window and as I get up there, I think to myself, okay, I'm preaching. We're talking about this story of forgiveness. And so I say to the person in the, in the first window, I said, hey, listen, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to pay for that woman behind me, okay? So, so I, uh, I pay for her meal. She got uh, a value meal and so I paid for it. And then... 
And then I get to the, to the second window, and as I get to the second window, she gets informed, obviously, that I'd paid for her meal, because now her demeanor has changed. She's smiling, she's waving, she's mouthing, thank you to me. So I showed them both my receipts, and I took both the meals. I'm just kidding. I just totally made that up. I did not do that. I read that on Facebook, and I thought it was actually pretty funny. Uh, I love your reaction, though, because I actually thought some of you would be like, yeah, you did. Nobody was doing that. All right. Well, that didn't land as well as I thought it would land, actually. We'll see about telling that one tomorrow. Some of you are still mad at me. I didn't actually do that. That didn't actually happen. Calm down. All right. So let's get back to the story, I guess, uh, as soon as we can. So as we look at this, Jesus is imparting wisdom to these people, and he's speaking truth and love, and and then religion breaks in, right? He's he's talking about God's love. He's he's showing God's love. He's doing all these things, and then religion breaks into this meeting. Religion disrupts Jesus. It stops what's going on, and it makes something bad begin to happen. So they lay this trap for Jesus, and and look at what it says. It says, tell us what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. Can I just tell you that the world is trying to trap the church as much as it can? The world is constant. Anytime I see some famous preacher go on a show like The View, I'm like, why are you doing that? It is a trap. They will, they will try to make you look like you, you hate. They'll, try and they'll do all kinds of things. And as we look at this story, what's happening here is the religious people of the day, they don't like Jesus. They don't like that Jesus draws a crowd. They don't like that what Jesus is preaching is something that they don't like. And so they are trying to trap him in this moment. They want Jesus to excuse her behavior and thus break the law. But Jesus did not come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so Jesus starts writing, and many scholars believe that in this moment, Jesus gets down and he begins to write in the dirt. And we don't know what he wrote, the Bible doesn't say, but some religious scholars believe that Jesus began to list out the sins of the men who are standing in this circle. Some believe that maybe he even was listing out some of the women that they had slept with. We don't know. But I will say this, Jesus doesn't utter a word until then he stands and he makes this incredible statement Let's have the man who has had no sinful desire throw the first stone at her. What a savior. What a savior that we serve. The sound of those stones hitting the ground with a thud, one after the other after the other. What I want you to understand today is the enemy is not bad people. It's badness itself. Since we all have a measure of badness, who are we to ever cast the first stone? When it comes to sin, the only one of us that has the right to condemn is Jesus, and he here refused to do just that. We need to come to a place where we understand that it is not our place to judge. It is not our place to be the jury. It is our place to be witnesses as believers. 
We are called to share Jesus Christ. We are called to talk about the fact that Jesus came and he set us free. He saved us from our sin, from our shame, from our nonsense. And so when we speak of that, then all of a sudden we win the world. When we begin to be the people that think that we are higher or more mighty or more capable or, or less or more deserving of God's love, then as we speak those things out, the world turns its back because it's disinterested. We swing from the self-righteous side of the pendulum where we feel as though we are, uh, where other people are filthy sinners and they deserve to go to hell to that self-condemning side where I feel like I'm a filthy sinner and I deserve to, get, to go to hell. And both extremes come from focusing on rules rather than relationship with Jesus. As we make this turn in the process we need to understand a few things. First of all, I want to I I show you a couple of things. First of all, step one, I think that there's a process that we end up walking through. Those of you who have accepted Jesus into your life, you've started to walk out your journey with Jesus Christ, I, I would guess that you would find yourself in one of these things that we're going to talk about right now. And, and we need to be mindful of these things. Because step one is, I'm a good person and I'm justified in criticizing bad people. Step two is, I am a good person, but should show compassion to bad people. Step three is, I'm a sinner who needs just as much help as the next guy. And step four, which is where we need to land, is I'm loved by Jesus just as I am, and so is everyone else. Now, it's easy to go back and forth be, between those things, but as we look at them, we need to understand the importance of coming to a place where we realize that not one of us deserves Jesus' love, not one of us could ever earn it, not one of us would ever be able to pay for our own sin, and so we've got to come to this place where we go, man, I'm so grateful that the God that I serve loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for me so that I can have forgiveness of my sin, and though I don't deserve it, I, I, will, I will gladly take it. And out of that, I also need to then give it. So many, so many Christians today, man, we love to be forgiven, but we don't love to forgive. We love to, we love to own the fact that Jesus forgave us of our sins, but we have no problem with holding on to the sins of others. Jesus sees our sin more clearly than anyone, yet he loves you more than anyone. He's not going to write you off because you had an abortion, because you were addicted to prescription meds, because you look at inappropriate stuff online. Yes, he's grieved by your sin because it's destroying you, and he hates to see you destroyed. But our badness does not change for an instant the overpowering love of God for us. If anything, it makes him that much more determined to rescue us. He will never give up on us no matter how much we run from him. Some of you sit in this room today and you are in a place where you are, if you are being honest, you are not serving Jesus right now. You come to church, you do all the things that you think you need to do, but when you walk out and you live your life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it does not reflect a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that God loves you and he sees you and he chases you. He wants you. No sinner is irreparable or, or irredeemable. No sin is so great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover it. 
I'm going to say that again because somebody here needs to hear it. No sinner, no sinner is irreparable or irredeemable. No sin is so great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover it. So some of you need to hear that today because you've lived, in a, you've lived a lie. The enemy has lied to you time and time again. He said, you know what? You've messed up too much. You've gone way too far. There's no way you can ever come back from it. So why even try? And I'm telling you that this Bible is true. And when God says that he loves you, he loves you. When it says that, it, that Jesus died on the cross for you, he died on the cross for you. There's no exception in that. There's no thing in there that says only if you do X, Y, and Z does God love you. He loves you. His love is so deep and wide that he can, in one moment of our faith, forgive our past, present, future sins. Sin is simply not a problem for God. Jesus, I want to look at this for just a second because it's such a powerful part of the scripture. Jesus is left alone with the woman standing there in front of him. So he, he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. So I want to look at this story. I want to break it down real quick. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I want you to hear this. First of all, the woman is brought to Jesus. When we're talking about a turn, and you're going to understand what I mean by that in just a moment, but when we're talking about there being a turnaround in your life, the turn begins with being brought to Jesus. So this woman is living a life of adultery. I don't know if that meant she was a prostitute. I don't know if that just meant she was having an affair. I don't know what it meant, but in those days, those were all pretty much equal in the law. And so this woman, they had every right to bring her before the, the, the crowd of people and stone her to death in that moment. That was not unnormal. And so as we look at this story, this woman is brought before Jesus. And I'm sure that in that moment, it must have been incredibly fearful for her. She's got these men that have now gathered her up. They're bringing her in, into the city court where, where they, they, she can expect what's going to happen. And as she comes before Jesus, I'm sure she thought that Jesus would probably just say, yes, you've got every right and pick up a stone himself. So the story of turning starts with bringing her to Jesus. The next part is Jesus silences the voice of the accuser. Can I tell you that the accuser is loud, but he's also a liar. There are many self-righteous voices today, some from church and some from the world, shaming people into submission. So as we look at this story, this woman who's not living the way she should, she's making mistakes, she's, she's living in sin, and she's brought before Jesus, and as she's brought before Jesus, she's not sure what's going to happen, but the amazing thing is, is in that moment, Jesus could have lectured her, he could have told her all the things she's doing wrong, he could have done all of those things, but instead of doing that, Jesus doesn't say anything about that, but in his actions, he silences the voice of the accuser. What you need to hear today, some of you maybe have come and you're sitting in this room today and maybe you're just trying church out. You're trying to figure out, I don't really know what I think about this whole church thing. I don't know what I think about religion. I don't know what I think about Jesus. And can I tell you, first of all, I say this all the time here. This is not a place where you're going to find religion. So if you came looking for it, you came to the wrong house. Because this is a place where we're going to teach you about relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's through relationship with Jesus that we have the ability to come to a place where Jesus says, hey, come to me. And when we come to him, he can silence the voice of the accuser. Right. 
Now, maybe, maybe you're here and you've accepted Christ and you go, I still have that voice. It's continual. I keep hearing it. Then what I want to I encourage you with right now is to speak to Jesus Amen. and say, Jesus, I know that you silenced the voice of the accuser. So will you do that for me today? So first step, they bring her to Jesus. That's important. The second one is Jesus silences the voice of the accuser. Step three, Jesus is le- she's left alone with Jesus. Can I tell you, you need to get some alone time with Jesus. Because it's in that moment that now he speaks to her. Before that, he's not spoken to her. He's spoken to everyone else. He's silenced the accuser. But now in this moment, he gets the opportunity to speak to her. Many of us, we walk out our faith journey, and all we do is we come to church. We maybe listen to some Christian music throughout the week, or maybe we crack our Bible occasionally or pray for a meal, and then we wonder why we're not moving anywhere in our faith journey. I'm telling you right now, you got to get alone with Jesus you got to get to a place where you begin to listen to his voice because he will speak to you. And you may go, well, Jason, I'm new to this, and I, don't, I haven't had a relationship with Jesus for very long. Can I tell you, this woman had never met Jesus before, and he spoke to her. Amen. And he spoke life to her. Hallelujah. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. Hallelujah. So the turn is complete when Jesus encourages her to move forward. Now, why is this important? See, we could have we just stopped talking about forgiveness, but Jesus then gives an instruction. He walks through and he says, listen, I, there's no condemnation. I, you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Now, why is that important? Because there are so many churches today that are preaching a word that is not true, that says that all you have to do is, is just come to church, you can, you can say yes to Jesus, and then you're good. Jesus said, turn, change, move towards the way I created you, who I want you to be. It's not just, it's not just accept Jesus and now I get a get out of hell free card. It's, it says, you need to go and you need to, you need to abandon your life of sin. That's it. You need to move away from it. Can you imagine if this woman, if Jesus said, hey, you're, you're free. Where are your accusers? They're not here. So go and sin no more. And before she even walked out of that courtyard, if she went and started to proposition a gentleman. Right? That's, but many of us, that's the way we live our faith journey. Jesus says, hey, there are, your, your accusers aren't around because I've forgiven you of your sin. So now go and turn. Look more like me. Chase after what I want for you. Start to live the way that I'm asking you to live. And so inside of that, but then we walk out of the building or we, we walk out of our, our Bible study or whatever and we hear that and we're like, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't really want to give up my stuff. I want to keep living the way that I was living. And the reality is we don't want to give it up because we feel like, oh, I'll miss it too much. Do you understand that the God of the universe who created you knows you better than you know you? So when he says turn, it's not to punish you. It's to set you up for success. Jesus wasn't interested in condemning her past. He wanted to rescue her future. Churches today will preach that you don't need to turn, but Jesus himself said it. Listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's a verse that we all, we all love to hear. We love to hear it. We love to read it. 
When things are hard in our country, you'll hear people quote this like crazy. But you got to listen to it. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. We want the promise, right? Like so many verses, we love the promise. He's going he's gonna to forgive our sins. He's going to restore our land. But what is it that we, he's asked us to do? He's told us to do. Pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. Why did I say turn is essential? It's essential because God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. He has dreams, desires, hopes for you. And the way that we get to a place where we're ready to receive those things, we can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in his kingdom. We've got to put our hope and our trust in him. And for many of you, what that means is there's things in your life that you know you need to let go of. There's things in your life that you need to release. There's things in your life that you've held on to and you've justified. And you said, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It was way worse before I knew Jesus. So now this is, this is okay. It's better. Can you imagine if Jesus had said to this woman, I don't see your accusers, so now you're not condemned. Go and sin no more. And she said, okay, well, I'm going to just have a little bit of adultery. He said, no, go and sin no more. Why? Because he wanted this woman not only to have a moment where she doesn't get stoned to death, which is a good moment, but he also wants her to go and have a life that's fulfilling. He's seeing into her future. He's saying, listen, I know that right now you don't feel like there is hope. I, don't, I know you don't feel like there is a future. And many of you know exactly what that feels like because I know that I'm talking, whether it's in this room or, or even online and other places, I know many of you have come from a place where everybody had written you off. They said there's no hope for them. There's no way they'll ever get better. There's no way they'll ever stop doing drugs. There's no way they'll ever stop. There's just no way. It's who they are. That accusing voice, Jesus can silence that. Jesus is able. So our hope needs to be in him. The power is in the turning. That's where we find freedom. See, we can, we, can, we can justify, we can try and keep living with one foot in and one foot out and hope that we can just, we can do well enough in both that we'll be okay and we can find our satisfaction in our sin and hopefully find our satisfaction in the church. But the reality is, is God is saying, listen, there's power in the turn. There's power when you turn. When you turn your back on who you were and you say, that's not who I am anymore. I'm moving forward in who Jesus is calling me to be. And as soon as we do that and we make that commitment to that, then all of a sudden things begin to change inside of our lives. And God begins to show up and he begins to show you things. He begins to show you the plans that he has for you. But can I tell you, if you sit in the room today and you're going, man, I don't ever, I don't feel like God has a dream for me or a plan for me. Maybe it's because you haven't turned yet. It's time for the turn. It's time for you to, it's time for you to fully engage and to trust him. Because he's good and he has good plans for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and they're going to get ready to to lead us in a little bit of worship. As they do that, I was just thinking this afternoon as I was rereading through my notes, 
that maybe the life that you've lived so far has been great, hasn't been great, but it's not too late for you to finish well. So this evening, as we spend just the last few moments before we, we close out our gathering time, I'm going to ask everybody to just close your eyes with me for the next few moments. I know that there are some in the house today that even as I've talked about that, you've been in that position where you feel like you're beyond saving. Maybe you feel like no matter how hard I try, I keep going backwards. I keep struggling, whether it's an addiction, it's a habit, whatever it is in your life, you feel like there's no, there's no hope for you. This woman who is caught in the act of adultery, she is, she is guilty. She's caught. She, there's, no, there's no excuse. She has no defense. She's got nothing she can say that can actually give her any amount of freedom. She's brought to Jesus, and that's this moment right now for some of you. You've come into this house today and maybe you didn't know what to expect and, and you didn't understand what this thing was all about, but I want to explain it to you very simply today. It's about this moment right here where in the midst of your sin and in the midst of your stuff, in the midst of your pain and hopelessness, somehow you find yourself in this space and I want to introduce you to Jesus. Because Jesus looks at you and he doesn't see you like the accusers see you. He looks at you and he doesn't see you as the, as the sinner who deserve, deserves death. He sees you as someone that he loves. He sees you through the eyes of compassion and the eyes of the cross. And he says, there is hope for that person. I have dreams for that person. I have plans for that person. So today you have this opportunity where as you've been brought to this, this space where you find yourself before Jesus, you have a decision to make now. Again, this isn't religion. It's, it's literally relationship. It's saying yes to him. It's saying, Jesus, I believe that you came and you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you love me and that you have plans for me. And maybe those are even hard words for you to even say right now because you don't feel that way. You can only imagine that woman probably came before all these accusers and Jesus. She probably kept her head down, not wanting to make eye contact with anybody. She's guilty. She's shamed. She's embarrassed. She's humiliated. And I can only imagine our Savior reaching down and touching the bottom of her chin and lifting her eyes to him. That moment saying that you don't have to be ashamed. You're forgiven. You're set free. It's over. This is done. So if you're in this room today or you're watching online, I just want to challenge you in these last moments together. Would you just be real with me for a moment? No one else is looking around, but I want to take an opportunity right now because I believe with all my heart that there's some in this room and this is your moment to look up and to say yes to Jesus. 
So if you're here tonight and you want to make your relationship right with him, it's not about a class that we're going to teach you. It's not about a bunch of things you got to get yourself straight before you can come to him. It's just this moment right now that in your guilt and your shame and your nonsense, you can come and just say yes, and he'll forgive you because that's who he is. So if you're in the room today, would you do me a favor and just lift up your head and catch my eye, maybe lift your hand in the air so I can see you. I just wanna pray with you before we leave this room today. If that's you, thank you, man. Thanks, bud, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, see you. Okay, good, thank you. Is there anybody else that would just say, Jason, will you remember me in this closing prayer? Yeah, I see you. One more moment, is there anybody else? right now like there's someone in the room who you've accepted Christ in your life before and you're even trying really hard to walk things out but where you're struggling is to believe that you actually have been forgiven if that's you I want to pray with you as well okay is there anybody else yeah thanks for being honest As we close this time together, I'm going to ask everybody in the room, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Whether you raised your hand or you didn't, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. If you're new to River or you're new to church, maybe you're like, what does this even mean? It's basically, it's I'm guiding you through a simple prayer that has huge meaning in your life. Because if you pray these words and you mean it, what you're saying is, I not only believe in who Jesus is, but I want to be a follower of his. I want relationship with him. And out of that, God is so good that he forgives you of all your sins. The Bible says he separates them from you as far as the east is from the west. Man, he's good. So let's all pray this prayer together. We just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I praise you for your mercy. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to follow you. I believe that you are who you say that you are. I believe that you came and you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose again on the third day. Father, help me to be who you want me to be. Help me to turn from who I was and to follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I would love the opportunity to talk with you after the gathering today. If you want to have a long talk, we can have a long talk. If you want to just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Can I just tell you that the angels in heaven are celebrating as you prayed that prayer. Would you give them a round of applause, those who raised their hand? This is kind of weird, but I'm going to pray right now, but I'm also going to pray over the meal that we're going to have in just a moment. And then we're just gonna close out with a little bit of time of worship. I'm also, I got a few of the prayer team that are here. If you just would like somebody to come alongside you and pray with you over something that's going on in your life, they'd love the opportunity to do that as well. God, we're so grateful for all that you do. We thank you, God, that you love us, that you see us, that you have plans and dreams and desires for us. God, we thank you that as a church family, we get to have a meal together. God, we pray a blessing on that. We pray a blessing on that ministry. 
that God, you use it this year like it's never been used before. That God, it will change neighborhoods, it will change communities, it will bring light where there is no light. God, I thank you for those who raised their hand and prayed that prayer. I pray, God, that you would silence the voice of the accuser. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we sing? Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.